Hello, welcome to Fitch's Global Economic Outlook podcast for June 2017. I'm James McCormack, head of the Sovereign Team, and I'm here with Brian Colton, Fitch's Chief Economist. In this episode, we're going to focus on growth revisions, which in our new global outlook are decidedly positive. So, Brian, one of the things that's really striking about this new GEO is that we have seen revisions pretty much across the board in the 20 countries that we're looking at. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's quite a positive global macro view um, that, that we have. No less than 12 of the 20 countries that we look at have seen upgrades to their 27 growth forecasts. Our forecast for 2018 is now 3.1% for global growth. If that turns out to be true, that will be the strongest growth rate since 2010. Remember, 2010 was the, the year of the bounce back from the global financial crisis and recession when policy was eased very dramatically across a lot of countries. So it's a pretty decent global picture, and one aspect of it has been strong recovery in, in global trade. But I think the, the key feature, as you say, is the synchronicity of it. We've seen emerging markets coming back. Uh, uh, China boosted its housing market, boosted credit. That's that's been a very important driver um, for, for, for China and, and other, other manufacturing producers in, in the emerging market world. We've seen the, seen the commodity producers in emerging markets also start to see their economies stabilizing and, and coming back, uh, you know, Russia and Brazil. And then in the advanced countries, I guess the theme really is uh, the Eurozone is benefiting more from ECB stimulus policies in terms of activity than, than we previously expected. We're also seeing labor markets improve across lots of countries, and that's really supporting consumption growth in the advanced countries. So it's it's really quite, quite widespread uh, improvement in the global picture that we're seeing. Okay, let's first of all talk a little bit about the emerging market side and explore that a bit. You say commodity exporters and non-commodity exporters both doing well at the same time. How, how should we read that? Does that mean oil prices are in the kind of right range for that to happen, or how, sh- how should we interpret that? Well, I think it might be quite interesting here to just to dial the clock back to what happened from mid-2014 after the commodity price collapse. Um, obviously, that was a huge terms of trade shock for lots of countries, and, and the response that, uh, both on the fiscal policy side, but also because of the big shock to corporate income, you saw a big retrenchment in spending over 2015 and into 2016 across the major emerging market commodity producers, uh, as government spending was was, uh, was was affected, but also corporate uh, corporate spending, uh, corporate income uh, and the energy sector energy sector investment. So, some of the some of the declines that we've seen in aggregate demand in emerging markets uh, have been absolutely eye watering. So, uh, we've seen consumption down nearly nine percent in in Russia uh, in in one year. These, these are these are real terms adjustments. You know, absolutely huge huge numbers. Having been through those adjustments. And since early 2016, having seen commodity prices recover, not spectacularly, but they've been going in the right direction, um, we're now, I think, in a situation where a lot of the big emerging market commodity producers uh, can uh, see their economies recover in terms of demand. There's space now for demand to come back. We're starting to see that in the numbers already. So uh, both Russia and Brazil, back to positive growth uh, in, uh, in in late 2016 in Russia's case, but also in Q, Q1 17 for Brazil. And when we look at the Russian numbers, it seems to us that consumption and investment are now starting to come back. So having been through that huge compression, we're now in a situation where we're seeing it come back. Okay. And in the, in the advanced economies, you mentioned the labor market in particular. So I think people are more familiar with the, the positive U.S. labor market story. So there's something similar going on in Europe as well that we can see? 
We, we are. There's a uh, there's a lag between the U.S. cycle. So um, you know, when we look at the U.S., we look at the U.K. and Japan. Actually, we we're now in a situation where unemployment rates are below where they were before the global financial crisis. We're still above uh, pre-crisis levels. Um, uh, in in the eurozone, but it's falling quite rapidly. So we've seen you know decent job growth numbers across the board, and I think that's been important um, in terms of sustaining the strength of consumption. Our previous view, if you if you dial back a couple of editions of the GEO, was that the uh, benefits of low oil prices on consumer spending across the advanced world would start to fa- would start to um, fade away uh, in, in, in 2016 into 2017, um, and we'd, we'd see a slowdown in, in, the, in the consumer spending cycle. We've not really seen that to the extent that we expected, and I, I think that's probably because of the improvements we're seeing in labour markets. Job security is improving, consumer confidence is, is coming back, um, and that's been supporting, supporting the consumer. We're still looking at slower consumer spending growth in 2017 compared to 2016, but at better rates than we previously anticipated. Okay. Maybe we can talk a little bit about trade and global trade and the importance of, that global trade has had in terms of in terms of the recovery and kind of spreading it uh, as well. What, what do we what do we see there in terms of trade flows? And I think there's a couple of key key features. One is that we are seeing better investment numbers across across the board. You know, U.S. investment was pretty weak uh, through 2016, 2015. Uh, the last set of numbers we saw for, for GDP in Q1 of this year, so it showed investment picking up, not just energy sector investment, business investment as well. Uh, you also seen some some improvements on the capex side in in the eurozone. So we know from when we look at the national accounts that investment is a more import intensive. Um, a type of demand than, than consumption, um, and so that that that's been important that that pick up in investment. I think world trade has also benefited a lot from the boost to China's housing market, uh, which started on the demand side in mid 2015. But it was only really second half of 2016 that the recovery in house building got got going in China. Um, and there's a nice correlation between housing starts in China and China's import growth if you strip out processing uh, trade from, from from that import growth. So Chinese domestic demand coming back, uh, particularly on the housing side, has been an important factor as well. And when we when we break down the recovery that we've seen in world trade, and the numbers have got quite a lot better this year, um, it's been across the board on the export side. But when you, when you break it down on the import side, it's really been emerging markets and Asia has been at the forefront of that of that recovery. And I think quite a lot of that is probably related to the China story. Okay. Maybe we can wrap it up with, with, with talking a little bit about the policy environment and the policy framework. We're seeing synchronized growth and recovery, but we're not seeing a synchronized global policy uh, framework. We're seeing a normalization of monetary policy in the U.S., but certainly not yet in, in, in Europe or, or Japan. So how, do we, how should we think about the policy framework in the context of the, of the growth story? It, it is still very much differentiated, but I think the more robust global growth outlook, um, certainly when you sort of look at the next couple, the next two or three years, is going to create the conditions for for, for monetary policy moving to a less a less supportive uh, stance uh, across across the world. Focusing more on the short term outlook, definitely very big differences still. So. 
whereas we see the Fed increasingly confident in its normalization. You know, they've raised rates, uh, you know, three three times now in the last seven months, despite some quite patchy data recently in, on the inflation front, a bit lower than the market was expecting the last few prints. Uh, and some of the activity numbers have also been a bit weak, but the Fed has, has gone uh, gone ahead with, with the, the interest rate normalization. Uh, they've announced the fact that they're going to start unwinding their balance sheet probably in a matter of months, actually. Uh, that's, that's come quite a bit earlier than most people were expecting. So increasing confidence from the Fed, less data dependence, we think, from, from the Fed. Um, and then in China as well, um, you know, having eased quite aggressively uh, from mid-2015, uh, you know, this year has been a story of rising market interest rates, uh, of a slowdown in credit growth, not, not dramatically, but a slowdown nevertheless, tightening of housing uh, prudential policies. We are going to see a weakening in, in the credit impulse in China, and that's going to feed through to lower growth later on. By contrast, uh, when you look at look at the eurozone, you know while while growth is strong and the ECB have updated have upgraded their own growth forecasts, uh, core inflation is still very low, and we, we do think the ECB is going to remain you know sort of fully fully in um, um, f- full, full fully in QE mode for the rest of this year. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to purchase uh, assets at sixty billion a month and, until December. Um, and you know we'll, we'll remain pretty pretty tough on their on their rhetoric in terms of how dovish they sound uh, for the, for the next few months. But as we get towards the end of the year, if the, if our growth forecasts, which for the eurozone have been upgraded by 0.3 for for 2017, if that looks like it's on track, we will even even in the eurozone start to hear more about about a normalisation. And we actually think because the sort of the risk of a the, self-reinforcing deflationary pressures in the eurozone have gone down quite a lot. It's going to be difficult, we think, for the ECB to sustain QE much beyond the middle beyond the middle of next year. And, um, that, and that kind of growth revision in RGEO in the eurozone is the biggest of is the biggest that we. That's have the biggest change to our forecast uh, f- to, the, to the forecast that we've yeah. made in, in in this edition. Yeah, that, that's where the numbers of I think the last six months. That's where probably the biggest surprise to the global growth story has come. You know how resilient the eurozone recovery has been. Okay. Thank you very much, Brian. We'll leave it there. The next podcast in this series will be in September following the publication of the new Global Economic Outlook. Thank you for joining us.